0: Well, good morning everybody. It's good to see everybody here this morning. We um, are excited to um, I'm excited to be back with you. I missed the last uh, well just last Sunday I guess it was but um, I'm excited to be back this Sunday. It's been a couple weeks since I've been in the pulpit but I am so thankful to um, everyone that helped feed the flock. Um, you know one one of the things that I am I really try to put a lot of emphasis on raising up teachers and trying to um, trying to uh, train up not just disciples but the people that can feed the flock of God. And so I am so thankful for so many that were either Wednesday nights with uh, Bobby or uh, Sunday mornings with Kirby or prayer service with Fagan or uh, last Sunday I think Chris. Um, uh, I think so. I can't remember. I may be missing somebody, but I appreciate everybody that has stepped up and um, has, uh, has fed the sheep. Um, I know they did a fantastic job. I have heard too many good compliments back from people. And so, again, I just want to say thank you that um, even though I've been absent, the, um, the, the flock of God has still got fed. You know, the Bible teaches us that um, we are to go unto all the world and preach the gospel. He says, we are to make disciples of all nations. And how many of you know what a disciple actually is? A disciple is somebody that follows a master of some kind. And so in this case, a disciple of Christ would be somebody who is learning to walk like Christ walked. And so our job in the church begins with, of course, proclaiming the gospel to the whole world and then not just getting people to pray a prayer or getting people to believe in the name of Jesus, but to make disciples. And the Bible says that the first way that we do that is like we did this morning. We baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then we teach them to observe all things that Christ has commanded. And so really the primary role of the church is to make disciples. We take people that have heard the gospel and believe the gospel and we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost demonstrating what has taken place in their life. And then we spend the rest of our lives teaching you to observe everything that Jesus has commanded. We teach you how to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so it is my prayer this morning that you're not just coming to church just to come to church. If the only reason you're here is because Sunday morning, the right thing to do is to get up and go to church, you're missing it. You're missing the point of what our purpose is. And so my job and all the people's job that are teachers in this place are to continuously teach you all the things that Jesus has commanded so that throughout the week, you walk as Christ walked. Now, do we fall short in that so many times? absolutely. But you should at least, if you are a true disciple, you should at least be looking day after day at how I can follow Him. How can I act like Him in my job? How can I act like Him as a dad or as a mom or as a husband or as a wife? How can I demonstrate that Christ lives in me in every aspect of my life? And so it is my prayer that you are here this morning for that very purpose. And I am thankful for teachers that can step up in my absence and be able to understand that's the goal. And that's what they do. They teach you the Word of God. We don't have smoking lights here. Again, I'm not saying anything bad about that. If you want to go to a church with smoking lights, there's many of them around. Just right up the road, uh, there's a few. I mean, if you want smoking lights, you can find that. If you want discipleship and you want to learn what Christ commands, this is the place for you. This is the place for you. And I pray that you know every person that stands behind this pulpit understands that. And they have that in mind above anything else. I'm not here this morning to entertain you. Can I be straight with you? I'm not here this morning to, to always be here to tell a funny joke. Now, does that mean that I'm not ever going to say something funny? No, sometimes I'm just funny just because I am who I am, all right? Amen. But I am not here that morning, this morning for that purpose. I am here for one purpose, to teach you the Word of God and to help you to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That is my ultimate goal. Anything else we do outside of that, that's just fun. That's all I can say. But that's what we're here for. So this morning in that, um, in that mission, I want you to go to Isaiah 55. Brother Chris has already read it to you this morning, but we're going, to, um, we're going to walk through this. And this is really where I left off, I think, Christmas morning. This is where I left off in Isaiah. We have been going through Isaiah, basically chapter by chapter, seeing what the Lord has to say to us through this book, through this prophecy. And uh, we're going to continue that this morning. And we're going to talk about the unfailing Word of God. So if you're taking notes this morning, that is the title of our message. It is the unfailing Word of God. Now, if you've got a handout, this is the context so that before we get into it, you'll know what we're dealing with. All right. So the people, basically the Jewish people here, the people of God, they are sitting in darkness because of their sin. Now you might remember that The Assyrians have come in and have wiped out the northern kingdom of Israel, right? The Babylonians have now come in and wiped out everything except 10% of the southern kingdom of Judah. And the ones that were left, the ones that survived, the remnant as we have been calling them throughout all of this study, they are now in Babylon sitting in captivity. They are slaves in Babylon. If you remember in the first five chapters of Isaiah, they were living large. I mean, things were good. They had everything they wanted. They were worshiping false gods. They were um, living in riches. You remember talking about the way the men were and the leaders in the place. And uh, you can go back and look in Isaiah chapter 3 and read about the women and how they walked around with their hair done and their makeup on and their their jewelry. And I mean, they were beautiful. Um, And you can read about all that in Isaiah chapter 3. But then, because of their sin, All of a sudden, the curse of this world comes in and it takes all of that away. All of the things that they live for, all of the the joy and all of the great things that this world had to offer, all of a sudden, because of their sin, it's gone. And how many of you know that sometimes God allows things to happen in your life so that, can you remember a time in your life when everything was just great, just hunky-dory? And then all of a sudden, something will happen in your life that will make you realize that nothing else in this world matters. Come on, can I get an amen from somebody? Nothing else in this world matters when you're in that moment. If God don't step in and do something, there is nothing but darkness. And this is where these people have found themselves. They are sitting in darkness because of their sin and they accuse... And, and let me say this, I want to make sure that I don't give you some false um, teaching here. I'm not saying that every dark thing that happens is a result of your personal sin. Because that was not the case of this nation either. This nation is being punished not because every single person in there has some kind of personal sin that God was exacting punishment on that sin. That was not the case. But we experience the darkness of this world because of sin in the world, right? If sin was not... And how many of you know that we are all sinners, right? And so at the end of the day, I can say that these people are sitting in darkness because of their sin. Not just necessarily because I did this in my life and now that's why this punishment has come my way. That's not what I'm saying, and that's not what the Bible teaches. But in general, all the darkness of this world comes as a result of sin in the world. Can we agree on that? Okay. And so they're sitting in darkness because of their sin. Now they have accused God of leaving them and forgetting them, and you can find that in Isaiah 49, verse 14. They actually say, God has forgotten us, God has forsaken us. In other words... If you are in a place to where you say, God don't hear me, God don't know I exist, He has left me, He has turned His back on me, you're in a place of complete darkness, right? That's exactly where these guys were. And they've accused God of doing that. They feel hopelessly lost. They have lost all strength. They now sit in the darkness of this world and they can't find hope in anything. However... God has promised that He has not forgotten them. And again, you can read that in Isaiah 49, 15 through 16. He tells them that even though for a brief moment He has separated from them, but with great compassion He's going to love them with an everlasting love. And you can read that in Isaiah 54, 7 through 8. He is going to give a substitute that will take the punishment for our sin, and everyone who trusts in this substitute and his sacrifice will be saved and given a great heritage from the Lord. And you can read about all about that in Isaiah 54 and uh, 53 and 54. All right. And we found out that this heritage is going to be a kingdom that is prepared for us where there is no more darkness in this place. There is only the light of Christ and we get to enjoy Him forever in all of His new creation. There's no sickness, there's no death, there's no sorrow, there's no tears, there's no suffering, there is no more night, no more darkness. Don't that sound like heaven? Now let me ask you a question if you're sitting in complete hopelessness, if you're in that moment in your life to where you can't see no light, you can't see any good in this world, nothing in this world can satisfy when you're in that moment, right? When you're in your moment of darkness, does what kind of car you drive matter to you? Does what kind of house you live in matter? Does you, does the fa- Would you even give your house and your car for, for that darkness to be removed? I've seen it with people and i prayed with them when they had a loved one dying, And let me tell you something, they'd give everything, everything to remove that darkness. I've seen it with people when their children were in some kind of trouble or they were hurting and they would give everything if they can just get out of that darkness. If they can just escape this. The point is this, there is nothing in this world, everything we chase after, everything we love, there is nothing That can satisfy when the darkness of this world hits. Are y'all tracking with me? All right. That's where these people are, but God has promised them that even though right now you're in darkness, even though right now you're in the curse of this world, I've got a heritage for you, I've got a kingdom for you. And if you will just trust Me, if you will believe Me, that day is coming. It is not always going to be night. It is not always going to be darkness. There is coming a day when there will be no more night. And this is the promise of God. Isaiah 55, verse 1 through 2, if you're studying with me in it, He says, Come, everyone who thirsts, or some of your versions may say, Ho, or hoy. Um, and the point is, pay real close attention. Listen up to what I'm fixing to tell you. If you want this salvation, if you want this heritage, if you want light in the midst of your darkness, if you want to be cheered in the midst of your darkness, if you want to have hope in the midst of your hopelessness, then listen to what I have to say. And notice what he says next. He says, come, everyone who thirsts. You know what it means to thirst? It means to be sitting in that darkness and you can't find anything to quench it. There is nothing that can satisfy. Like I said, there is no worldly good that can come that will make any of this better. So he says here, come everyone who thirsts. So the first requirement of everyone that is invited to what he is giving here is that you have to first experience darkness of this world, unfortunately. I'm sorry, but if you don't thirst, if all of your satisfaction is filled by the things of this world, if you're content with everything in this world the way that it is, I'm sorry, you can't come yet. You can't come yet. Because the only way that you are invited to come is if you thirst. There has to be a thirst in you for something that this world can't satisfy. And he says, if you're in that place... You're invited to come. And listen to what he says next. He says, come to the waters. So he uses these metaphors here of like water and wine and milk. And you're going to see why he uses these in a little bit. But the point is, he says, come to the waters. In other words, if you are thirsty, if you recognize that there is nothing in this world that will ever truly satisfy your greatest need, your highest need, then you need to come to the waters. There is only one source that is able to give you your highest need. And do you know what your highest need is? Your highest need is eternal life. That's what your highest need is. And so he says here, I have the life-giving water for the thirst that you have. So I'm inviting you, if you have this thirst, come. And then notice what he says next. He says, and he who has no money. In other words, it does not matter if you have money or not, the other requirement for you to come is that you can't have anything to purchase it. There is nothing you have to get these waters for yourself. You can't do any amount of good works. You can't be good enough. You can't worship hard enough. There is nothing you can do. You have to first recognize that you're thirsty and you have to second recognize that you are poor. I have nothing. I don't have anything to be able to purchase what I need. I can't do it. And so he says here that, Come, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. You don't have to have money to buy this, but you still have to buy it without money, and you have to eat it. And notice he says that in the next part of it, Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And so basically, we're invited to come and buy waters. You don't need no money for it. But you're invited to come buy water, which represents eternal life, life life-giving that will quench your greatest need. And then you're invited to buy wine. You know why He says wine? Because even though we have put a bad name on wine because of the way that we abuse it and the way people become drunkards with it, wine in and of itself is not bad. Wine in and of itself, the book of Proverbs says God gave wine to cheer the heart of man. That's exactly right. The point of God giving wine was to cheer. It was supposed to be a celebratory thing that we could celebrate around. I truly believe that there will be some sort of wine in heaven. Now again, I know I'm a Baptist preacher and y'all back there going. I'm not telling you to go out and get drunk. Come on. Alright? But I am telling you that when He tells us to come and buy wine, He's talking about come and buy the very thing. If you need cheer, it's because you're in sorrow. And he says here that he has something that can cheer you when you're in your hopeless estate. I have something that will supply your greatest need when you are so poor that you have nothing. And then he says, come and buy milk without money, without price. Milk is what would give you nourishment and strength. It's what a child would drink to be able to grow and their bones to grow strong. And so he's using these metaphors here to help you understand that if you are in a place that you are so thirsty that you understand there is nothing in this world that can satisfy it, then come to the waters because that's where you'll find life. And if you are in a place to where you can find no cheer, and you can find no hope, and there is nothing but sorrow in this place. Come on, y'all. Has anybody been there yet? Come Come and buy without money wine that will cheer your heart. Come and buy whenever you are in a place that you have no nourishment, you have no strength, you are depleted of everything in you. That is the requirement. And until you get there, I'm sorry to tell you this, You've not experienced enough of the curse of this world to truly understand what sin does to you. And until you get there, it's hard for you to come. But when you get there, He invites you to come. Come and buy the waters that will actually give life. Come and buy the wine that will actually cheer your heart. Come and buy the milk that will actually strengthen you and nourish you and, and, and give you back the strength that you once had. And so we're invited to do that. God cautions us though, look in verse 2. He says, why do you spend money for, for that which is not bread? In other words, you give your whole life And listen, we do. I shouldn't say you. We give our whole lives to things that is not even bread. Notice what he says next. He says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? This is a group of people that have spent their whole lives living life and trying to find all the satisfaction in this world. And when that moment of darkness comes, you know what they learned? It don't satisfy. It's not even true bread. It don't nourish. It don't grow. It don't help me at all. And God says, why do you do that? And ain't that a good question? And you know what? For the life of me, I can't answer it. <laughs> I look back at God and say, God, I'm a sinner. And I don't even know why I'm so stupid. That... And, and, and the reason I say that is because ain't we, ain't we too busy? But is it, is it necessarily busy with the things of God? But I'm too busy, ain't I? I am. I don't know about you. But I'm, I'm too busy. i got too many things going on. I run from this to this to this, and I'm always doing this, and I have got so much going on in my life, and yet the majority of it, I would say, is for things that is not even bread. It's for things that don't even satisfy. Come on, I'm your pastor this morning. Am I talking to anybody that ain't a preacher this morning? And he says, why do you do that? And for the life of me, I look back at him and I say, God, I don't know. I don't know. And he warns them. He says, stop laboring for things that can never satisfy. Now I'm not saying, because remember what Jesus said. Jesus told the devil, he said, Man does not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. But Jesus did not say man does not live by bread, because man does live by bread. So I'm not saying that we don't need jobs, you don't go to work. I'm not trying to go there either. But I am trying to say that there ought to be some things in my life that take priority. Priority. You know, I was raised at a time, and I'm so sad that our days have changed, but when I grew up, I never questioned whether or not where we were going to be Sunday morning or Wednesday night, or if there was a revival going on somewhere at another church. I'm telling you, I never questioned where we were going to be. If the Word of God was being preached somewhere, you know where we were going to be? Right there. Right there. If the doors to a church were open and we were a associ- I don't care if, if it was just another church of that denomination... That's where we were going to be. Because if the Word of God was going to be preached, that took priority in, in our family's life. Where did that go? Where did that go? And, and, and listen to me. Y'all know I ain't just trying to fill the pews up in this place because I'll say some things and try to run some of you out of here. Y'all know that. I don't, I've told you many times that I don't care if it ain't but five people show up. I'll lock. I ain't got nothing invested in this building. I'll lock the doors on this place, put a four-cell sign on it, go to my garage so quick and teach you the Word of God from there. I'm not worried about keeping these pews filled. But I'm just using that as an example of where, does, where did that time go to where the things of God took priority in our lives? And now it seems like everything else takes priority, Right? And so He warns us here and He says here, why do you do this? Why do you labor and why do you give your life for things that is not actually bread, that will never actually satisfy? And the answer to that is, God, we are sinners and we are foolish. And even though we know it to be true, we can't see past our own face sometimes. And so what follows next? In um, verse, let me get to it. In verse uh, 2, he says here, here's what you need to do. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Well, if we're listening to God, what are we hearing? The Word of God, right? And so what are we eating? We're eating the Word of God. We're eating, remember what Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That is life. And he says here, He says, listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Because you give your lives to food that's not even bread. So delight yourselves in rich food. Notice what he says next. Incline your ear. So what is he talking about here? Listen to me. Incline your ear. He's talking about pay attention to what the Word of God is saying. And then he says here, and come to me hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. And the reason why he can say this is because faith comes by what? So he says, listen to my word, trust my word, believe my word, eat my word, be cheered by my word, find hope in my word, um, find satisfaction and life in my word. And if you will do these things, I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Notice what he says next. He says, My steadfast and sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the people. He's talking about David. And a leader and a commander for the peoples. Not just the Jewish people. uh, David got ran away by the Jewish people. Remember, Saul was trying to kill him. Where did David go? David went to the Gentiles. And David became leader over many Jews and Gentiles. And he said, I made him a witness to the people. That all who come to me by faith, that's my people. And notice what he says next in verse 5. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know. In other words, the Jews are going to call a Gentile nation that they don't even know. And a nation that did not know you is going to run to you. In other words, Jews and Gentiles are going to be mixed because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. And then in verse 6, he gives us a command. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near." And then notice what he says next. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. So what kind of ways do we have? Wicked. And what kind of thoughts do we have? Unrighteous. That's going to be important when we get to this next part. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So there's the promise. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways. Let the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord. Now, if you've got to return somewhere, what does that tell you about where you currently are? You are away from where you've got to go back to, right? Right? And so he's saying to people, the reason why that we sit in the darkness of this world is because of sin in this world. It's because people walk in wicked ways. People walk in unrighteous thoughts. And because of that, we're not near the Lord, but instead we are away from the Lord. But we can seek Him while He can be found, because He wants to be found. And we can call upon Him while He is near because even though we got to return to Him, He's not that far from us. And so we have a responsibility to listen to His Word, to believe His Word, to seek Him in His Word, to call upon Him from His Word, to forsake our wicked ways, by following His Word, to forsake our unrighteous thoughts by thinking according to His Word. And if we'll do that, look what he says next. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on Him and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. That's an awesome promise, ain't it? He will have compassion on me, and He will abundantly pardon. What does abundant mean? What when I say something is abundant, what do I mean? It's a bunch of it. How many of you need a bunch of pardon? And he says here that he will abundantly pardon. Now, the next, what follows is the explanation as to why we have to seek him. Because, I mean, if God wants to save us, why don't he just save us? And so... Why do we have to seek Him? Why do we have to call upon Him? Why do we have to forsake our wicked ways and our unrighteous thoughts? Why do we have to, what this is called, repent? Why do we have to do that? Well, notice what he says in verse 8. Notice the connecting word, for. For my thoughts are what? You and God ain't on the same page, y'all. Your thoughts and God's thoughts Completely separate. Not only that, but look what he says next. He says, So are my ways, I'm sorry, neither are your ways my ways. So your thoughts are not like God's thoughts. Your ways are not like God's ways. Why? Because your thoughts and your ways are all about you. It is. Your thoughts and your ways are all about you and not about God. And so he says here, notice in verse 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So the distance between our thoughts and God's thoughts are as high as the earth is from the heavens. This is why you have to forsake your ways and your thoughts and you turn to God's ways and God's thoughts. (coughs) Think about it like this. I'm preaching too loud. i got to quiet down. am <clears throat> losing my voice. Think about it like this. In their day, the dis- they didn't have space travel back then, okay? They didn't know a lot of the knowledge we have today about the universe and all that. All they knew is that it's a long ways to get up there. And as far as they knew, it was impossible to get from here to there, all right? Now, we may look at that today and say, well, it's not impossible. We got in a space rocket and went from here to the moon. We've sent a telescope from here to there. But I want you to think about this for a minute. Science has told us today that if you were to travel at 186,000 miles per second, now think about that. How, may, how many of you have ever gone over 100 mile an hour? Teenagers, don't raise your hand. <clears throat> 100 mile an hour, pretty fast, right? Some folks have even been 200 or more miles per hour. All right, That's fast. I'm not talking about per hour. I'm talking about 186,000 miles per second. Every second. Let me put that in a little bit of context for you. If you could travel that fast, you could travel around the world. All the way around it, 7.5 times in one second, if you could travel that fast. What we know today from science tells us that the observable universe is not... You know what I mean by observable? That means just what we're able to see. We don't even know how much further out it goes. Just the observable universe is 93 billion light years from one side to the other. So if that is true, to get from here to the other side of the universe, just what we can see, would take you 93 billion years if you could travel at 186,000 miles per second. That's how long it would take you to get from, from Earth to heaven. And you still ain't reached the heaven where God dwells. Here's the point. Whether you're talking about the context back then and their knowledge, it's still the same today. What God is trying to say from you is that the gap between your thoughts and God's thoughts and the gap between your way and God's way is immeasurable. They're not even close. As a result of that, the only way that you can get back to God, the only way that you can return is if something spans that gap, number one, and your thoughts and your ways become like His thoughts and His ways. Yes, salvation is by faith alone. However, a true A true fruit of salvation is going to be repentance. Because one of the things that the sinner that is thirsty recognizes is that my sin is so far separated me from God that the distance between this and God is immeasurable. And because I recognize that, I know that I am going to turn away from those things and I'm going to start pursuing God. I'm going to start seeking Him. I'm going to start calling upon Him. I'm going to start trusting Him with everything in me. And so the distance between us is so far removed that, that we can't even measure it. it. It is immeasurable. Notice what he says next in verse 2 because I want to know, not in verse 2, how does God span the gap? In verse 10. So we got this gap, right? He gives us an example. We've got this picture of a gap between earth and heaven. This is how far our thoughts and our ways are removed from God. So how do we span that gap? Notice what he says in verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me, what? Empty, void. But it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Because think about it. If the distance between our ways and thoughts and God's ways and thoughts is immeasurable, it almost is impossible to span that gap, right? But here's what God says. Let me show you what I do. Think about the rain and the snow. The rain and the snow come down from heaven. So he's going to give a a similarity here between the rain and the snow and the Word of God. They both have the same origin. Where does rain and snow come from? And where does the Word of God come from? Now remember, the distance from here to there is what? Immeasurable. So the only way to span the gap is if God sends from heaven what we need to span the gap, to bring us near to Him. And so he says, think about the rain and the snow. He says, they come down from heaven, they have the same origin. And then notice it says, and they do not return from there, but they water the earth. So you're going to see that they also have the same purpose. He says, the rain and the snow water the earth. And why does it water the earth? Because God makes it bring forth and sprout. Why does He make it bring forth and sprout? So that it will give seed to the sower. If you plant a... um, a sunflower. The sunflower needs sunlight and it needs rain, right? And as this sunflower grows out of the ground, it waters the ground, it causes the seed to sprout, and to bring forth, and then as that brings forth, then the seed from that can fall back into the ground. And guess what happens? It gives seed to the sower to sow more, And then it um, gives seed to the sower. I lost my train of thought. Let me get back to it. It gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. And so there it has a multi-purpose. It gives it to where we have more seed to spread out. And then it gives us what we need for nourishment. That's what rain and snow does when it comes from heaven. Now let's look at the Word of God in verse 11. So shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. The same concept, it comes from heaven and it causes to sprout and give life. And as it causes to sprout and give life, then it gives more seed, so that whoever ministered to me with the Word of God, and when I believed the Word of God and was saved, now I'm growing up and I've got seeds coming from me and here I go. The sower has seed and it gives bread to the eater so that it provides nourishment and it provides everything that you need. Here is the point that I'm trying to make. We spend so much time at this church focusing on the importance of the Word of God. Have y'all noticed that? I mean, we spend so much time focusing on the importance of the Word of God, studying the Word, feeding on the Word, learning the Word. Why? Because the word is what God gives to span the gap between our ways and his ways, between our darkness and his light. The only thing in between is the word. And you say, well, what about Jesus? What, first, what did John 1 say about Jesus? He said, in the beginning was what? And the Word was with God and the Word. And the Word became flesh. Jesus is the Word. His teachings are the Word. Us following Him is the Word. And when we trust His Word, and when it comes from heaven, and He causes life to come up from us, and when we believe His Word, and when we hope in His Word, even in our darkness, we look at His Word, and because we know it is faithful, because we know it is true, we look at His Word, and we know that I can have hope. We know that I can have life. Right now, I sit in death. But I can have life. I'm coming to the waters. I can come and I can buy. And how do we come and we buy? We listen diligently to His Word. We incline our ear to His Word. Y'all remember that? And the more we focus on His Word, the more wine comes our way that cheers our heart. The more we focus on His Word, the more milk comes our way that nourishes and strengthens us See, we got too many Christians walking around here today that are so weak. You ever felt that way? I have. I'm a Christian. I am so weak. You know what the problem is? I'm not listening diligently to His Word. I'm not feeding on His Word. I'm laboring for all the things that are bread and do not satisfy. And yet the very thing I need is the very thing that is sitting right in front of me most days, or on my table, or for some of you, in the back seat of your car, or for some of you, you don't even know where it is. Amen? Don't amen that. And we wonder why we have no strength. And we wonder why we have no hope. And we wonder why all we have is darkness in the world. Because you're feasting on everything else that this world has to offer and you are not feasting on the very thing that God invites us to come and feed on. And if you do, without money, you can buy water, life-giving. You can buy wine that'll cheer. You can buy milk that'll strengthen, that'll nourish. If you do this and feast on this, He promises that through this you will find compassion for your sins. Through this you will find abundant pardon for your sins. And yet, we don't put much effort into it, do we? Notice what He says next. So His Word spans the gap. Notice what it says in verse 12 and 13. I'm sorry, Um, finish verse 11. So shall my Word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. See, I want you to understand something. Salvation is by faith alone. But the way He does it is when His Word comes to you, it waters your ground. And it sprouts life. I can remember when I first came to the Lord when He saved me, I couldn't get enough of His Word. I couldn't get enough of it. Uh, it's a funny story. It's a true story. My wife's here. My mother-in-law's here. They'll, they'll tell you this is a true story. I had a problem with the TV. I worked long shifts at a, at a job, and I'd come in at like 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and, and when I would get there, the first thing I'd do when i get home is just turn the TV on. I'd usually stay up till 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning watching TV, and then I'd sleep all the next day until time to get up and go to work again, and that was my life. And I was a saved, born-again Christian, all right? But that was my life. And I can remember I just had a problem with it. I guess you could almost call it an addiction, really. And so I remember I kept telling God because I had a conviction on my heart that I wasn't spending no time with Him in His Word. I wasn't trying to grow, I wasn't really trying to seek Him. And this is a true story. The next morning we got up and lightning had hit only the TV and only the satellite. Am I lying? Only the TV and only the satellite. As a matter of fact, that night I was sitting there and a big thunderstorm came through and I heard the boom. I mean, it shook the whole house. And I'm talking about it scared me. It shook it so bad. But the next morning, the lightning had hit, the TV, nothing else in the house was hit. Nothing. Just the TV and everything else is plugged on the same stuff. Are y'all tracking with me? So we went without TV for, years. yeah, years. I took that as a sign from God. <laughs> and what did I do with my time? I just read the Bible. I'm talking about I studied it. I, 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 I sought God out in it. I wanted to learn from Him. I wanted to hear from Him. And I just kept going after it. And I'm not telling you I understood everything I read. Because a lot of it I didn't. I thought I did a lot of it. Today I'm learning I didn't know nothing, but still, I spent so much time seeking the Lord in it and listening to it, and I can remember we went years without it, and um, I think after so many years, um, we finally, I think, um, Shirley and Eddie, I think, gave us a TV, I think is what happened, but I ain't blaming that on them, (laughs) but we did. We finally got a TV back in the house, and I probably need to get lightning to hit it again. But um, the, the, the point that I'm trying to make is that that was a time in my life that I grew like no other. I mean, I learned how to connect things in the Word of God, how to study through the Word and learn the Word. I wasn't no different than most of you sitting in here today that probably open your Bible and go, I just can't understand nothing it really says. I used to be there. I understand what you're talking about. You think I just was born being able to preach the Word and rightly divide it? <laughs> No, as a matter of fact, you've heard me say, if I could go back and delete the first ten years of my ministry, I would. Because I have learned over the years and I have grown over the years. And it has come through diligently seeking, diligently listening to the Word of God. But look what God promises in verse 11 again. It shall not return to me empty. It's not going to. But it shall accomplish that which I purpose. And what was God's purpose? That it bring life. The same thing that the sun and the rain and the snow do. That it water the hearts of men and that it bring forth and sprout life. And He says here that it is not going to return to Me empty. It shall accomplish that which I purpose. And it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. It is going to succeed. This is the reason why I entitled this message this morning, The Unfailing Word of God. It cannot fail. God's Word will accomplish its purpose, and that purpose is to cheer you like wine. Anybody in here need cheer this morning? I'm telling you, the Word of God has it. The Word of God has it, if you'll believe it. Anybody in here need strength in your faith this morning? The Word of God has it. He has it. Anybody in here need life? You need eternal life this morning. The Word of God has it. And it will accomplish its purpose for what it was sent out to do. But you have a part to play. And what is it? Listen diligently. Listen diligently. Incline your ear. Come to me. Forsake your ways and your thoughts and I will abundantly pardon And I'll have compassion on you. That is the promise of God. But the gap is so wide that the only thing that can span it is the Word of God. And this is why we focus on it week after week, day after day, small group after small group, Wednesday night service after Wednesday night service. And yet, how many of us are still living without hope? Still living in death? Still living without cheer? Still living in darkness, but I want to tell you that all of those things can be remedied by the Word of God. So let me close it out in verse twelve and thirteen because we'll see the last part. <clears throat> Notice that it it never fails. Verse twelve and thirteen, he says, "For you shall go out in what?" He's talking about people in darkness, right? Listen to me; they're still in the darkness. But what does the Word of God say to them? You're going out in joy. Are y'all hearing me this morning? The question comes to this. Do you believe God? When God says that even though in your current darkness, I'm going to bring you out in joy, do you believe that He can do what He says He's going to do? Because people of faith keep looking to that. And they know that one day it's coming. You shall go out in joy. Look what he says next. And you will be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Everything's going to praise God in this day. Notice in verse 13. Instead of the thorns shall come up the cypress. the, the, The mighty trees of old. And then he says, Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. You see what he's saying? It was through the curse of this world, the curse of sin, that we got thorns and thistles. But through the Word of God, we get all of that reversed. Instead of the briar, instead of the thorn, we get the mighty cypress. We get get the roses. We get the myrtle. And then He says, And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. God's Word is unfailing. Why do you labor for that which is not bread? Why don't you eat on what is good? Why don't you incline your ear to to hear more and more of God, to seek God, to want to follow God, to be a disciple of Jesus, to, to be abundantly pardoned, to have cheer, to have hope that no darkness of this world can take away? Why do you labor for that which is not bread? And why do you labor for that which is not satisfied? So my question this morning is this. In our darkest hour, can we trust God's Word? You better believe we can trust it. You better believe because it shall accomplish what He sent it out to do. And in this, I want you to understand that there is a condition for you to meet. You have to come, you have to listen, you have to incline your ears to His Word, you have to seek Him. You have to call upon Him. You have to repent and you have to turn to Him. And if we will do this, He abundantly pardons. He makes an everlasting covenant with you and has compassion on you. But we have to make sure that we understand we are far too easily pleased. I want to read a quote to you from C.S. Lewis. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. He says, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he can't imagine what is meant by an offer of a cruise at sea. We are far too easily pleased. The point being is you get satisfaction from so many things in this world that are coming to nothing. When God offers you eternal joy, Amen. Amen. we are far too easily pleased. And so I will say to you this morning, the lesson is this. Stop laboring for that stuff that is not bread. For that stuff that does not satisfy. Yes, you need bread to live. I get it. I get it. But start making God and His Word your priority. And if you will do that, and you will believe His Word, you will seek Him in His Word, you will call upon Him. And remember, He says, seek Him while He may be found. In other words, there's a time coming to where you won't be able to seek Him anymore, or or you may seek Him, but He won't be found. He says, call upon Him while He is near. There is a time that is coming that He's not going to be near enough for you to find Him anymore. And so why don't today you begin to make the priority in your life the Word of God, believing the Word of God, trusting the Word of God. And if you do, He promises that without money you'll be able to buy cheer, you'll be able to buy strength, you'll be able to buy life-giving water that costs you absolutely nothing other than coming and listening, coming and diligently hearing and inclining your ear to what He says to you from His Word. Y'all would stand this morning. I guess my question to you would be what is the Lord saying to you? Is there a promise here for you to claim that you need to claim? Is there a A promise that could bring you cheer that you need to hold on to and believe in with all your heart? Is it strength that you need this morning for for, for something? Is it nourishment that you need? What is it that the Word of God would say to you this morning? What is it that you need to repent of in your life that you need to forsake of your ways or your thoughts that are wicked and unrighteous and not godly? There are so many different applications that you can apply this to your life this morning. But I would simply ask you to not leave without letting the Word of God do what He sent it out to do in your life today. He said that it will not return to Him empty. It will accomplish what He sent it out to accomplish. And so what did the Lord say to you from His Word this morning? And how do you need to respond? Now is your opportunity if you'll come.